0: Well, already you see on the screen the topic that we're going to talk about today is stormy water. So anybody that you're walking through any stormy water in any dimension of your life... Uh, Again, as I mentioned earlier, I think that you're going to find today, as we look into God's Word, very encouraging. Uh, I want to just mention this quickly. Um, We've got about six copies is all of the latest book that we're just calling Pastor Jeff's Book of the Month. And this month is Andy Stanley's book, The Principle of the Path, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Go. It's a fabulous book, and you can get that right after the service if you would like, and get them before they're gone. Uh, I love to fish. I don't get to fish the way that I would like to. I'd like to fish a lot more than I do, but I love it. And I started loving it, actually, when I was a small boy. uh, My grandfather, except we didn't call him a nice proper name like grandfather, we called him granddaddy. He was granddaddy. And granddaddy lived in South Georgia. I was born and raised in Atlanta. But anytime I got to be with my granddaddy in South Georgia and go fishing, it was a wonderful experience. I can remember numbers of times, and I'd get so excited about it when uh, he would be uh, saying to me, Jeff, we're going to go fishing. And I know what that meant. That meant we were going to the little river. And at the time I wondered why it was called a little river until I was grown up and an adult. And I went back and just out of curiosity, wanted to go back to this place that I'd fished with my granddaddy for many times. And and I went and then I realized why it was called the little river. It was a very small river. And, uh, and we spent a lot of time together. It was totally unsophisticated fishing. Uh, we'd get in a little aluminum john boat that he had and push off from shore. And it really didn't even, Need a motor. You could just paddle along and stop and drop a little uh, concrete block anchor and just fish from there. I especially loved it in the summer months when the river would get really, really low and it was so low that you couldn't get the boat in and you would have to wade and fish. As a kid, that was the funnest part of fishing for me. And when I tell you that it was totally simplified fishing, it was. I, I didn't have a nice rod and reel that granddaddy would loan me to fish that day. I actually had a cane pole with a Little number two hook on it, a cork, and, and I'd tie when we would wait, I'd tie a little fish stringer to my um, belt loop and catch a fish, put it on the belt, you know, the stringer and pull it around while you're fishing again. And and you ladies are gonna love this. We would put a box, my my uh, cousins and I, with granddaddy, we'd we'd have a box of crickets that we'd hang around our necks so all day in the heat. You'd walk around and have crickets right under your nose. How's that? Does that sound fun? I can remember one time I told this in the first service, we're fishing and and I wanted to get to a spot like my granddaddy did because he could just get it under the right tree. I mean, it seemed like there was that much space he could just get up under there. And every time he could get under a tree in some dark water like that, he'd pull out a big fish. So I can remember one day trying to do like granddaddy and I'm, I'm, I'm doing like this and not like this. I'm trying to get it up in this special place and don't have much to work with. And I get s- s- snagged. And I'm like, well, I've seen this happen to granddaddy before. And he'd just whip it a couple of times and get it out of that bush like a bullwhip on my so i'm pulling i'm pulling i'm pulling and finally i'm like what am i caught in and i turn around and i kid you not the hook was in the corner of my grandfather's mouth just like this just right there and i'm just pulling and he's looking and every time you know i'm sure his eyes were like mm, and and what's funny it wasn't funny at the moment but looking back uh I, you know it, again not in the moment is but later when i thought about it and talked to my cousins about it I just had to laugh because I, not that I hooked him in the mouth, but when I hooked him in the mouth, somehow that cricket was on the outside of the corner of his mouth. And that cricket was like, oh no, what's going to happen now? Help me, Jesus. Come on, come on. It's like, and so that's how I grew up fishing. So when I was an adult, I went up, you know, we moved to Florida. I went to pastor this great church. I'm in my mid to late twenties. So what has that been a decade ago, maybe? Um, So a guy walks up to me, and I've never done, like, big-time fishing. His name's Jim. Jim walked up to me, and he said, Pastor, do you like to fish? I'm like, I love to fish. He said, how would you like to go uh, with me and a friend? And he said, check your calendar, this date, that date. I made it work. And so he said, meet us such and such. We went. And uh, we went on the biggest boat I've ever... How many of you like to fish? Wave at me like this. We went on this big boat, never been on that boat. And uh, we went out, they said, we need to catch our bait. I I was like, we went to Shane's and got crickets. No, 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 we catch our bait. And uh, cast these big cast nets, we catch our fish, and we come out of the intercoastal into the Atlantic, And, buddy, we take off for the open waters. Now, I've never been that far offshore, and I'm looking back, and I'm like, Help me, Jesus. I'm like the cricket. Help me. Help help me. Help me. I want to be close enough where if this engine doesn't start, I can swim back. And we just go further and further out. And I'm like, well, these guys are pros. They know what they are doing. They've done this many, many times before. And we go way out. And we're fishing, and we're having a great time. Uh, You know, for me now, saltwater fishing, I just love that. I just love it. If I get to fish, I love to fish that way. So we're out there and I'm just fishing, having a great time. I know Jim, this guy in my church, and I'm uh, getting better acquainted with his friend that owns the boat. We're just fishing, having a great time. And I noticed while I'm fishing, I look to the south. You know, this would be if, you know, if I'm looking back this way, this is the shoreline. And uh, so I'm looking back this way and I noticed to the south, there was some very dark, angry clouds beginning to brew. And I'm like, wow, that doesn't look good. And I'm looking at these cats and they don't seem disturbed. So I'm like, they're the pros. I'm, you know, they've done this many times. If they're not worried, I'm not worried. So I just keep fishing, and it's getting closer and closer. And the more I fish, the more I look. I'm like, this is not good. But again, they're not saying anything. They're just having a good time, and, and, uh, and they keep fishing. I keep fishing. And then I kid you not, about 45 minutes later, I look. I think it was about 45 minutes later. I look to the north, and it's the same thing going on to the north. I mean, here's the coastline. This is like coming in from this direction. Look to the north, these dark, angry flashes of lightning in the clouds. And I'm like... Why aren't we doing something? I'm not bringing it up. I'm not going to be a chicken. If they're all right, I'm all right. And I just kept fishing, fishing, fishing. And I kid you not, this made me so mad. I couldn't express it because I'm on their boat in the middle of the Atlantic. I couldn't say. But the guy who owns the boat, he finally turns around and looks like this. And he does this. I kid you not. Tell me how you would feel. He's like, that's not good. I'm like, dude, I mean, I've been. Where have you been? And uh And I said, this is not good. And then he says something that really got my attention. He said this, we're not going to be able to outrun that. And I'm like, what are our options then? If we And what he's saying, it's converging. We can't get to the coast before it comes. And I mean, it came together. We're offshore. I kid you not. I'm standing on the front of the boat. The second row here, it is raining so hard that I can't see that row. It's raining that hard. And lightning is hitting, flashing. And, and the same guy, he says, oh, boy, this is what he says. You think I didn't want to choke him? He said, he said, hey, I think we need to lower. It had these two big antennas. Have you seen that before, these two big antennas? He said, I think we need to lower these so lightning don't hit them. I'm standing three feet from one. I'm like, are you kidding me? I made all kind of promises to Jesus that day. And I'm like, I'll never do this again. And, and I mean, it was a storm like I'd never been in and a storm like I've never been in since. And I want to talk to you today out of Acts chapter 27 about stormy waters because the apostle Paul finds himself in a storm out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea that made what I just described seem like a picnic. Now I know before we even get to the text that there are a lot of you that you're going through a stormy time in your life. There are stormy waters that are swirling around you. It may be connected to your work. It might, may be a storm that you're going through and your health where a condition that you have or a diagnosis that you've received or some blood work. It may be that you're going through some stormy waters with one of your kids. It may be a time in your your marriage that it's been you know rocking along pretty smoothly to this point but now there's some things going on and you're like oh my goodness we've never had to face this it may be a legal matter that you're involved in it may be uh, a personal uh financial situation you're like wow i don't know how it may be anxiety it may be a career path like i've got my education or i've got my training and i have this but it seems i can't find the right job at the right place and and that's going on and then daily it seems new co- news commentators are reminding us how crazy it is in the world with terrorism and global unrest and the coronavirus. And it seems like every direction that we turn is like stormy. It's stormy out there. It's stormy in, in our own lives personally. And that's chapter 27, specifically the apostle Paul finds himself in some stormy waters, literally stormy waters. And here's the story, and I hope, and I think you will, because a lot of people after the first service said, I gotta go back and read the story. And I can't read all the way through it verse by verse, but I'm gonna read portions of it. And I'm gonna talk to you about four lifelines that Paul taught to these guys about hanging on to in the middle of a storm. And I'm gonna share those with you. But he's on a large ship and there's well over 200, and other passengers, this is no tiny vessel. this is a, a gargantuan ship. Their destination is actually Rome. If you go back and you read the chapters prior to this, you know that Paul is a prisoner he 's been incarcerated for no good reason, and he appeals to Caesar and so now he 's going back to Rome to stand trial and the centurion who 's in charge of the ship takes this very seriously so it 's paul it 's the crew it's the guards it's the centurion and it's a lot of prisoners on this ship and they're headed for Rome and somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea they face a storm that they would have been begging for the storm that I faced in the Atlantic it is hurricane force winds this is no small storm and there is not a person on that ship that thinks there's any chance that they'll be they're like hey this is one that will never live to tell about this is the one we're all going down this is the storm that we've dreaded and none of us are going to survive it i want you to see their desperation look at this verse right here just one verse at this point when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days how many of you know what that means during the day they can't see the sun at night they can't i mean this is a huge storm and it says in the storm look at this phrase continued raging we finally, this is an important statement, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. We're like, this, this is it. We're not gonna be able to make it. Now, in the verses prior to this, and I hope you'll go back and read it, we're told that in an attempt to lighten the ship, that what they actually did is they took all of the cargo and a good portion of the sailing tackle and they tossed it into the sea. You saw the verse. They gave up all hope all hope. Nobody's hopeful. This is it. We're going down. We'll never tell about it. Be uh, able to tell about it. These are stormy waters that we will not survive. They gave up all hope of being saved because in their mind, and you've got to understand the predicament that they're in they're in their minds, they're saying, even if the storm were to subside right now, we're lost. We're, we're, we've been pushed way out into the Mediterranean sea that nobody's ever been before. At least if they have, they've not lived to tell about it. Now, while I was working on this talk and, and just working uh, through uh, Ads 27 and just imagining what they're going through, it, uh, it jogged my memory. And some of you will remember the story once I start reading it. It was a couple of football players and a couple of other guys who had played college football that they go off of the Gulf Coast. And let me just read the story and this will remind some of you. You'll remember the event just a few years ago. It said, four men set off from Florida's Gulf Coast on a weekend fishing trip. Anchored 70 miles from the land, their 21 foot boat flips over in 15 foot seas. They're in stormy waters. The boat flips completely upside down. 15 foot seas, stormy waters, and 30 mile per hour winds. But these aren't your usual fishermen. Two of the boaters play in the NFL. The other two are former college football players. In choppy seas, in stormy waters, they manage to don life vests, and they try to right the boat. They try to flip it back over, right side up, but they fail. Their only choice at that point is to cling to the hull of the boat and hope for rescue. Now, next paragraph. After searching thousands of miles of ocean, the Coast Guard finally arrives 46 hours later. 46 hours later, they find only one man, Nick Schuler, sitting on top of the overturned boat. And when I saw the picture in this article, I remembered the picture from seeing it in the news years ago, several years ago. Nick Schuler was sitting on top of the overturned boat. Three others, including Oakland Raiders linebacker Marquise Cooper, Detroit Lions free agent Corey Smith, are missing and presumed dead. Later, a 23-page report came out from the Coast Guard that sheds light on what really happened. The sole survivor, Schuler, says that a few hours after capsizing, one of the boaters, one of the passengers, one of the three, in his words, freaked out, removed his life vest, and let the waves just sweep him away. A few hours later, a second boater started throwing punches, took off his vest, and dove into the ocean, never to be seen again. Sometime the following day, remember this goes on for 46 hours. Sometime the following day, the third man, presumably William Beakley, believed that he saw land in the distance. He didn't, but he removed his life jacket and tried to swim for help. And that's how it all went down. 46 hours. That's a long time. And it's a tragic story. And Paul and these other prisoners and the crew and the guards and the centurion, they've been on this ship for many, many days. And you'll see how many days in just a few months. Further and further, hurricane force winds. There's no stopping it. And many of you are already connecting with this story in Acts 27 because you feel lost or you feel anxious or you feel frantic. Because there's nothing that you've been able to see, at least in this storm that's brewing in your life right now, there's nothing that you've been able to see to this point that lets you know that there's an end in sight. You have not spotted land. You have not yet spotted security. And aside from that, you have no idea where this journey is ultimately gonna take you. You see the early and you're like, oh man, panic and fear and trepidation, anxiety is about to set in or has set in. Now, I, I wanna just back off now and just say that if you've happened to have read Acts 27 before, uh, you know that uh, somehow by the grace of God, Paul and every person on that ship survived. It's an incredible story. I hope you'll read through it later today or later this evening, but I'm going to out of Acts 27, and this is going to be so helpful to you. How many of you, let me see your hands again if you need just a little bit of encouragement. You could stand just a little. Let me see if you you do. All right. I want to give you out of Acts 27, four lifelines that come into play in this story. Are you ready? Are you ready? Four lifelines that that come into play. Lifelines, by the way, that will become important to you if you're trying to navigate through some stormy waters. And can I just give you something that I think will be helpful as well? If your if your life right now is pretty smooth, the surface of the water is smooth, I would still take notes. I would still write down these points. I would still record these scriptures because there's coming at some point in your life some stormy waters. You can't get from here to there without that happening. And you're going to need what we find in Acts 27. Lifeline number one. If you're ready, wave your hand at me. I want to make sure you're still awake. I work real hard on this talk and I don't plan on you nodding off on me. Lifeline number one. Are you ready? It's this. Paul grabs on to a promise from God. This is the first lifeline that comes into play. God gives him a promise, Paul, and he holds on to it with all his might. Look at the verses right up here on the screen. Look at it. But now I urge you, this is Paul, after he's received the promise from God, but now I urge you, he's addressing all these guys on this ship, over 200, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, not a single one of you. Only the ship will be destroyed. Boys, the ship will go down. It will be destroyed, but you're going to be... All right. Last night, he says, an angel to God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. And he's like, right, God, here I am. Do not be afraid, though. You must stand trial before Caesar. Remember, he's appealed to Caesar and God said, you're going to be there and and God has graciously given you, Paul's talking to them, he's not only going to save me, he's going to save all you cats as well. So keep up your courage, men. Look at this. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Can I give you something to think about right here? Listen, listen, listen. When God makes a promise, God keeps a promise. Is anybody awake here today? If God makes a promise, God keeps a promise. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now, in the middle of their desperation, when hopelessness is at an all-time high, God has a message for Paul, a promise that he can hang on to when everything seems like it's out of control. And this promise is clear and it's understandable. And God says, he sends a messenger to say to Paul, here's what's going to happen. The ship will end indeed be lost but you're going to survive and everybody with you is going to be saved now scores of people who have walked through storms in their life people just like you and me people who have found themselves in in stormy waters many of them will look back and say you know at some point during that storm God gave me a promise some point when it just seemed like I was filled with anxiety and fear, at that point where I felt like I'm giving up because there's no more hope left, that God. Gave to me a promise, and I held on to that till God answered my prayer. And some of you, if you were to think back for just a moment, I know it's true in my life. I can look back at times in my life when I found myself in stormy waters, I can look back and say, Oh, it was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. I was starting to feel hopeless. I was very much afraid, terrified at some point. But God gave me a promise. And I want to just say this to you today God is still giving promises. And when God gives a promise, God keeps a promise. And sometimes God's promise is going to come to you like this. It's going to come to you as a whisper from the Holy Spirit. I've never heard the audible voice of God, never have, doubt I ever will. That's not a statement of lack of faith, but I've never heard the audible voice of God. But i tell you what I have heard. I have heard at times in my heart, in my spirit, a whisper from the Holy Spirit that seemed louder to me than an audible voice. And God was like, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you. Sometimes when God gives us a promise, it's not through a whisper, Sometimes it's through a verse or a passage in the Bible, and we see it, and we've read it many, many times before, but now at a crises in our life, we see it and God speaks to us. And that verse or that passage becomes the hope that we cling to. It may be a message in church. It may be today where you hear something and you're in the middle of a storm and you find yourself surrounded by stormy waters, but something is going to be said today. And you know this, and I know this. I'm not smart enough to know what you're going through, but God does. And I always find encouragement. Every time I read in the Old Testament that God spoke to a donkey through a mule, I find out I got hope too, because God can speak through a mule, a donkey, just like me. And God may use something in the message to just cause you to hang on. It may be a song. It may be a conversation with a friend or a mentor. But this is what I know, that oftentimes when we're in stormy waters, God will throw us a lifeline. And that, pro- that lifeline will be a promise from God. And God gave it to Paul and those on the ship with him. And guess what they did? They held on to it with all their life. Number two. Lifeline number two. Sometimes when you're in stormy waters, gathering information, gathering information can be a great lifeline. Now you're saying, now where does that come out of? And I'll tell you, and you can go back and you'll read it. I'm just going to hit it quickly. You'll go back and you'll see this later. Once Paul Relates to them this promise of God concerning their survival, a ripple of encouragement moves across the passengers and against prisoners and crew and guards and the centurion. And when that happens, when a ripple of encouragement goes through the ship, some wisdom kicks in and they transition. Listen to this now, this is really important. They transition into an information gathering mode. It says, you'll read it in the text, that they begin to take soundings. What does that mean? Technically, it means that they begin to measure the depth of the water. How many of you know back in Paul's day, they did not have a sophisticated GPS system. There was nothing that, okay, we're at this many feet. How many of you have ever seen a great GPS on a boat? Wave at me. Some of you that love to fish or you have a boat, a great GPS. How many of you know it will not only show you the depth of the water, have you seen on the GPS when you're looking at the screen, uh, fish, fish, Have have you seen this? There's fish on the GPS. I hope that's been better for you than me because I see fish and I'm like, I'm going to catch one of them and I never can seem to catch one of them. So they don't have anything like a GPS, but they have, it's like a baseball tied to some rope and they keep lowering it and they're measuring and they go, you'll see this in the text. They go from 120 feet pretty quickly to 90 feet and all of a sudden it becomes clear that they're approaching a sandbar or a small island somewhere. Now, why does this matter to us? And how does this apply to us? You ready for this? Whenever you're being wrought by stormy waters, it is a good move. Here's one of the statements some of you need to hear. It is a good move to move from panic to process as quickly as possible. You with me? When you get wrought by news or something happens in your life, it is a good idea to try your best. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But to transition from panic to process. You get into some information gathering. Can I ask you a question? I'll ask it quickly and move on. Let me ask you this. Does your mind generally go to the best case scenario or the worst case scenario when you get hit by disturbing news? What happens in your mind? Well, then you'll find it helpful to hit pause, try to move from panic to process, and start gathering information. And this is exactly what happened on that ship. Paul said, guys, listen, ship's going down. Dude, you better get ready to paddle. You better find your snorkel. This baby's going down, but God's going to save all of you. But they went into information gathering. Now, Here's how it works for us. And I want you to maybe jot this down at least think about it uh, diligently. Sometimes information gathering, depending on what kind of stormy waters we're in, will take different forms. Sometimes gathering information when you're in a storm may mean that you sit down with a solid Christian counselor and you talk out your circumstance and you get some wisdom and you get some guidance and you get some biblical counsel from a professional Christian counselor. Sometimes you gather information by getting a second opinion where you're like, I see that and I hear that. But what would be the harm of getting a second opinion? You are gathering information. It may be that you process your fears with a friend, rather than just bury yourself in a hole and you're just, you vibrate with panic and fear and anxiety. You say, you know what? This has me really, really anxious. And you talk it out. I've got a couple of really, really close friends in my life and I can talk out situations with them, they can talk out situations, and it works depending on who 's going through what and there 's many times just in standing on the outside, sort of speaking into a circumstance that I can provide a a different perspective or a little bit of process to the situation and vice versa it may mean that information gathering is you face it head on you don't live in denial you don't say well i'm gonna pretend i'm gonna pretend la 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 this is not happening la 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 this is no no you're gathering information and so first lifeline god sends paul a promise he's like hey guys hang in here ship's gonna yeah we're gonna lose the ship But all of you, you're going to be saved. I'm going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Second lifeline, we're going to gather information. They start gathering information. It's getting more and more shallow. All right, third lifeline. Some of you are going to love this one. Some of you, this is going to be your favorite. Some of you, you'll be like, I was waiting for that. Third lifeline, you ready? Eat your way out of it eat your way out of it. You're like, come on, you're kidding me. Why would you mess with us like that? I'm not kidding. Look at it right up here on the screen. It's here in the Bible. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat for the last, look how many days, not 46 hours, 14 days. He said, you've been in constant suspense. Another word there that could be inserted is anxiety. And you've gone without food this whole time. You haven't eaten anything. Now, some of you are saying, I've been looking my whole life, my whole Christian life for a life first. I think I found it. Now, I urge you to take some food. Somebody say, glory to God. I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will leave, lose a single hair from his head. Eat your way out of it. Some of you are saying, that's my life first. Praise Jesus. I just got it. Hanging on to that one. I know I shouldn't eat it, but Jesus told me I could. Jesus not only told me I could, Jesus said, I should. I told you, honey, I'm eating it. In fact, while I was working on this talk, I just got an image in my mind. So I started searching and, and it would be like this. This is you in a baby version. Jesus says, go ahead and eat it. And you look like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Take some food you need it to survive. How long did they go without food? Okay, three of you know. The rest of you, time change caught you, didn't it? How many days? days. Without any food. No Chick-fil-A, no Taco Bell, no... Well, you get the point. Why? They're in constant anxiety. Now, you're like, okay, what's the rest of the story? Here's the rest of the story. What is this lifeline that Paul is referring to here? I want you... uh, Paul is saying, I want you to get back to some normal patterns. Guys... 14 days, and I get it. This has been horrific. Man, we haven't seen the sun in 14 days. We've not seen the stars 14 nights. Hurricane force winds. We are so far out here in the Mediterranean Sea, and I get it. You've lost your appetite. I don't know if you like this. When I'm going through a storm, there's two things. There's two things. I have trouble sleeping, and I have trouble eating. Does that happen to anybody? Some of you look at me now and say, "Well, apparently your life's pretty good, dude. You've been eating. You're all right. You're fine. You're fine." But are, do you have mechanisms like that where you're like you're not in your normal patterns? See, and this is a point that I really want to make. Had some fun with it, but I want to bring it right here. When you're going through a storm, One of the best things, one of the best things, hang on to that promise of God, gather some information. But this is really, really, really important. Get back to your normal, healthy patterns as quickly as possible. See, one of the things, if you get wrought by a storm, sometimes it's just easy to depart from your devotional life, from spending time with God. And you're like, you know, I'm just so so stressed. I'm just so anxious. I'm just so anxious. And one of the things that can bring some calm and solace and peace to your life would be to get back on your knees and to get back into God's Word. For me, I'm telling you, for me, for me, I've had... Whispers from the Holy Spirit. I've had encouragement from friends. I've talked it out with trusted colleagues. I've done all of that. I'm just telling you, uh, from the time that I've been a Christian, since it was about the age of 16 until now, the thing that has kept, kept me straight and dialed in has been my time with God. But sometimes when you get knocked down, that normal healthy pattern of spending time with God begins to dissipate. Now, can I just speak Practically. Another thing that would be good for us to get back to is to get back to our physical or our um our physical exercise and that pattern because again you're going through a storm and you don't last thing you're thinking about is is exercising or working out but that's a normal pattern it's not as important as your devotion life but it gets you back into a normal pattern what do you have to do to get back into a normal pattern hey guys eat getting back into a normal pattern of eating getting back the best you can to normal patterns of sleep and rest and some of the best things that we can do when we're walking through stormy waters is hold Hold on, hold on with dear life to that promise from God. Gather the information that is available to us and then say, God, I'm getting back to the normal patterns of my life because that's where I'm gonna get centered and balanced again. Is that helpful to you? Is it? Number four, lifeline number four, start kicking with all your might. Kick. Start kicking with all your might. Now, what is the point here? All of a sudden, they've been walking through this uh, hurricane-like storm, middle of the Mediterranean Sea. But now, after the promise from God, after they're gathering information, after Paul gives this encouragement, hey, guys, you've gone 14 days without eating. I understand. We've thrown all the cargo over. We've thrown most of the tackle from the ship over. But we still kept food on board intentionally. Break into it, dudes. Let's eat. Let's eat. You're going to need your strength. What is ahead of you? This is what Paul is saying. What is ahead of you? You're going to need your strength because we're coming toward the finish line, and you're going to need your strength to get to the finish line. Now, all of a sudden, they sight uh, a, a sandy seashore, and they think that it's an island. In fact, it is. So what do they do? They cut loose the anchors. Now, I mentioned to you these four players, two pro, two college, that they were 70, anchored 70 feet offshore. Scholars believe that that Paul, this ship that they're on, that they're probably about 200 yards out from shore. Remember, they're doing these soundings. It's more and more shallow. They think they're headed toward a sandbar or maybe an island. So what do they do? They cut the anchors. They raise the force, uh, the, the foresail of the ship and they start sailing as fast as they can. They don't have a couple of 200 horsepower engines on the back of this ship. They start sailing as fast as they can in the direction of the Island. And all of a sudden what happens is they, 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 uh, making this dash and they struck a sandbar and the ship begins to be torn apart by the pounding of the surf. I mean, torn apart. I mean, it it is and they're having to hold on to that promise because Paul's already told them, hey, we're gonna lose the ship. You guys are gonna make it and they're seeing this unfold before their very eyes. They're stuck in a sandbar about two hundred yards off of this little island in the Mediterranean, and they're stuck and the force of the waves they're out of the, the most difficult part of the storm, but the force of the waves are still so great that they're just watching this ship just be pounded, just pounded. It's beginning to break apart if, before their very eyes. How many people are on the ship? I mentioned to you over 200, well over 200. I'll give you an exact number. 276 are on this ship, and the majority of them being prisoners. What should they do? What this, You're going to like this. All right, look at this. Now the centurion's going to talk a little bit. Uh, verses 42 through 44, the soldiers planned, this is what the soldiers were going to do, the guards, they planned to kill the prisoners because they thought that they'd swim away and escape. And the centurion look at this, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life. Remember, he's going to Rome to stand before Caesar, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plans. Like you're not killing any of these prisoners. So what did the centurion do? He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planes or pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land in safety. Now, I can remember that time, You're, uh, you know, I shared with you the little river that wasn't so little when I went back as an adult, but I can remember the time it was in the hotter summer months and it was so low, the water for the most part in this river was so low that, um, You know, you couldn't get the boat in because you'd get stuck. You couldn't go through the whole river. Some of the places you could have. So we just started waiting. But we just kept working our way down, as we've done many times, waiting or fishing. And we come to a bend in the river, and I can see this so clearly in my mind right now. I can see the left side of the bank, the right side of the bank. I can see it in my mind as clearly as if it happened yesterday. In this particular part of the river, it was deep. And uh, it was really deep. And for whatever reason, I don't know all the conditions. I was just a kid. The current was really strong. And my granddaddy, he said, "Boys, we don't have an option here. We've got to go from this bank over to the other bank. And whereas we've been able to walk, you know, in different dry areas through sandbars and stuff to get to this point, there's no I mean, this is deep and the current is swift, and I can remember my granddaddy, who's a good swimmer, swimming over, he's standing on the other side of the shore. We're over here and he says, "All right, boys, you got to come. We this we don't have any options." And uh And we knew who the good swimmers were and who were not. So granddaddy said, if you can swim it, boys, do it. And and fortunately for for me, my dad had just basically forced me to swim when I was about four years old. So I'm like, I believe I can do it. And I just dove in and I swam with all my might. And it felt good to crawl out on the other side of the bank beside my granddaddy. And he said to one of my cousins, he said, if you don't think you can swim it, just hold on to this line. And I can remember him and just being pulled to the other side. And this centurion stands up and he's like, All right, guys, here's the deal. If you can swim, get in there and kick like crazy. If you can't swim, hey, this this baby's being torn apart by the moment. Grab a plank, grab a piece of the ship, and get to land the best you can. Now you're saying, What is in there for me? Now let me tell you this. I believe that God still provides supernatural rescues. Is anybody away? God still provides supernatural rescues. But having said that, there are times, please hear this, there are times when God says, I don't want you to sink into passivity and I don't want you to sit on your backside into the water, Jack, and start kicking and kick with all your might. And you say, why? Why? You know, what, are the sh- what if these guys, 200 and some odd passengers, what if they had just stood on the ship and said, no, 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 ah, no, no, uh, Jesus is sending a helicopter any moment now. And, the, and had they waited for the helicopter, they were in big trouble. There was, how many of you know, there was no helicopter coming for these boys. Coast guards were not coming for them. And the centurion said, here's your, if you can swim, get in. If you can't still get in but find a plank and kick. And you know what God says many times in our life? And with this, I'll close. There's times in our life where God is already providing the supernatural rescue, but in the middle of it, there's something that God wants to teach us. Listen, God does not want us to be a weak Christian the rest of our life. How many of you know that? Is that the best I get? I work really hard on this talk. Is that the best I get? God doesn't want us to be weak Christians for the rest of our life. He wants us to develop faith. And, and, and perseverance, he wants us to develop endurance. God wants us to have some grit. And God's in charge and he's watching over us. And he was just like my granddaddy on the other side of the boat, no, uh, on the other side of the bait. no matter what happened, we were getting to safety. But God's like, boys, get in, you know, get in, start kicking. Can I give you a statement here you may want to jot down? Tough storms do not last, but tough people do. Amen. What about that? Tough storms will not last, but tough people do. And it may be that God is saying, all right, you've got a promise, but I'm going to teach you something in your storm. And when you swim out on the other side, you're going to have more faith, and you're going to be stronger, and you're going to be able to endure, and you're going to have more grit, and you're going to be able to persevere. And you've learned something, and I've grown you in the middle. Can I just tell you this? You and I grow more in storms than when everything is going easy in our life. Tough storms don't last, tough people do. Two statements, we're done. You can go ahead and stand, we're out of time. Look at these two statements, here's one. John Gordon said this, every crisis offers an opportunity to grow stronger and wiser, to reach deep within and discover a better you that will create a better outcome. So while this is your crises, what matters most It's what you do with it. One more, and I love this one even more. Jim Cimbala said, some people grow stronger in the midst of adversity. Most people do. Others, though, have an easy life and still self-destruct. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the encouragement that we receive from your word. And I know that there's many people here that are walking through a stormy time in their life. They are surrounded by stormy waters. But I pray as you send to them a promise. If they've already received it, help them to hang on to it. If they've not yet received it, help them to look with expectancy and to hang on to that with all their might. Help them, God, to gather accurate information about their circumstance. Help them, God, to get back to the normal spiritual disciplines and physical disciplines that are going to help them to feel centered again. And God, we know that there's times in our life that you want to grow us and mature us and you just tell us in the water, start kicking. I'm going to save you. You're going to survive this. This is a tough storm but I'm going to cause you to become a tougher person. Get in the water, kick. Kick with all your might. I'm with you every step of the way in Jesus' name. I love you everybody. Thank you for being here. I'll see you right back here next Sunday.